1: Hi everybody. Uh, um, you know, I'm now in Europe. I, I don't know if you followed me last time, but last time I was in Australia a week ago. Uh, but this time I'm in Europe. It's uh, springtime, so uh, a lot of planning. And I already actually planned, uh, put a lot of things on my calendar. And one of those things is you know, doing my gardens and, and, and food forest and everything. So today I'll be talking about uh, designing living systems and uh, uh, let me just see if this is working. Okay, so I'll be talking. You, you can put your questions as I go and I'll try to uh, stop uh, somewhere in the middle you know, after half an hour or something uh, so I'll need a, a stopwatch just to see uh, what's happening. All right. Okay, and uh, then I'll answer. I'll answer questions. Uh, Probably we won't be that long uh, today, but uh, this is going to be split in two. Uh, Okay, so we are now in the. We are still in design phase. I don't know if you if you've been following. We went through the whole process of uh, designing a resilient. Or setting up, creating, uh, establishing a resilient uh, farm, permaculture farm, and uh, we went first to research. We were uh, talking about the context, uh, context of what these are the design criteria, what we need to, you know, design our resilient farm uh, in preparation for. So uh, that was the first that we were talking about, and then we went uh, how to find appropriate land. That was our research phase, and then we. Uh, went to the design uh, design stage of this whole process, and we went to you know getting the base map, reading the landscape, and then when we started the design, we start with with water, and then last time we talked about infrastructure, and now we are talking about uh, living systems. Okay, so this is kind of how I uh, go in my design process. Uh, I prepare everything, I research everything, and then I you know uh, do first water, and then uh, infrastructure and then living systems and uh, after that we're going to move to the setup phase so this uh, designing living system is going to be split into two parts and uh, the first part today is going to be a little bit shorter but I'll just you know give you a general overview of all the growing systems that we uh, can use in permaculture and then next time I'll go into exact details uh, and after that we're going to talk about the setup uh, that's actually you know implementing uh, how to Know, execute that design and what steps. That's going to be into webinars after this one, after the next one. And then, a little bit, you know, like uh, talking about uh, setting up a permaculture nursery because nursery, you know, we want trees and uh, uh, trees are all, the perennial plants are what we are focusing, mostly in permaculture, so, you know, we need a, a simple and cheap system uh, to establish those plants and uh, we're going to use, you uh, uh, our own resourcefulness to actually uh, propagate plants, rather than you know, we'll talk about buying, but we'll also talk about how to do it yourself because that's the cheapest way. And then finally, on top of that, the farm economy. I'll I'll be going through the uh, to all the different ways that you can generate some income and cash flow your farm while you you know while you're starting. Okay, so the last time we were talking about. Uh, the infrastructure, and, and first he touched on, on the core infrastructure. And when I talk about the core infrastructure, that's you know, the main access points, uh, the main fences, and the house location. Okay, so this is, uh, this, is this would be the, the, when you are doing design, this would be like a whole farm layout. Okay, so the, 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 the general, the main layout of the farm. Okay, so this is kind of the most important thing that you need to uh, get right. Uh, because this is uh, the, uh, the, all those things are going to you know putting the access points where they're, they're where they're supposed to be putting the fences where they're supposed to be putting the house you know in the best location is uh going to save a lot of energy you know time and 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 money and, and uh, uh, in doing so in doing so make your life easier because you don't need them to redo things that's kind of what we want to avoid uh and uh, I would say that if you get this right, this is kind of the 80% of the, of the job in infrastructure, the core infrastructure. Okay, so, and then we said, you know, then we uh, went to the, uh, the process of, of, as you can see on the image left, we went through the process of, okay, so where to put the access points and, you know, after the access points, where to locate the house and with the house, where to locate the, where the house is, that's actually the homestead area. I'll talk about that a bit later but and after the fences, okay, so um, on, on the image left you're seeing like the general uh, whole farm layout and actually what you're seeing is uh, you know, maybe you can't see right but this is from Darren Doherty and this is how his process, permaculture design process goes, so he first uh, all these lines that you're seeing, and the the red and, and the yellow and, and the green uh, green black, uh, so uh, they're all together, and that's because the the best position for water systems or irrigation pipes and is actually on the ridges. So if there are ridges, they will be following the ridges. The best position for the road is on the ridges, and then once you have those two things, uh, you know, designed, then you put your fences, and fences are also following uh, the access, the main access points. So what you end up with is actually. Uh, these uh, these uh, uh, field growing areas or this field uh, in between all those you know uh, fences and, and, and access points. And this is uh, what I call uh, uh, your growing areas because as you're going, as you're developing you know, far, the whole farm layout, you eventually end up with all this empty space that's going to be used for something. Okay? And on the image, when oh, you will see the image left. Uh, on the left of that image is actually the homestead area. And this is where the house is. Uh, I don't know if if you can see the cursor but never, never mind. Uh, on, on, on you can see the house with the homestead area, and all the rest uh, is now all the fields that are left there. Uh, we're going to now to utilize, and we're going to put a growing systems there. Okay. So after and after we've done the the, the whole farm layout with the access, uh, house, and fences, then we move to. Uh, to the homestead area. And homestead area, I, I talk uh, when I say homestead area, I think about zone one and zone two. And then uh, we went into details of that homestead area, and we talked about you know uh, what components uh, should be there, and uh, you know the water, the the growing plants, the animals, the equipment, all the components, and how to you know and then how to arrange these components. And how to arrange the components, you know, to save energy and everything. That uh, was kind of the the first thing when we went into into the, those details uh, of of the homestead area. And then we talk also about uh, you know, energy producing or harvesting structures because uh, you need to generate it, uh, energy generate it and save energy, and uh, generate, store and use that energy. So that's all the buildings, all the all the structures that would be. Uh, probably in Zone 1 Zone 2 and we talk about some basics and that's you know photovoltaic systems, wind uh, wind energy systems, micro hydro, uh, passive solar hot water and passive solar heating uh, you know we touched on passive solar heating and you know, how to arrange uh, the house, once you have that house in the location, how to orient it in, in space to utilize all that energy that's coming from the Sun and then we also talk about um, finally in you know, a uh, i I added uh i didn't see much you know talk about it in 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 the, in a permaculture circus, but you know permaculture tools and technology and that would be you know hard goods, quality durable tools and mobile infrastructure so all those tools you know like a general rule that I have is that I think about those tools as an asset as a mobile infrastructure and 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 quality tools that i can no matter where i go i i can take them with myself and uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the concept from Joe Salatin about, you know, his staking systems and, and, and creating businesses maybe on, on rented land then you'll be aware, you know, of the mobile infrastructure that he's talking and this is kind of the mobile infrastructure tools and technology that you can, that you can use uh, for the lifetime if they're good and quality and you can also move them, take them with yourself if you're going somewhere. Uh, uh, so basically you can do a gardening, you know, market gardening on, on the rented land and uh, take these tools with, with yourself no matter where you go. And, okay, so that was the last So This time uh, we're going to focus on, on, on growing systems or food production. You know, this is the primary focus on, of most permaculture designs and you know, people are drawn to permaculture because of the food aspect. Uh, but, you know, if we... Uh, see, you know, uh, holistically. If you look at holistically at the whole, you know, permaculture movement and and everything uh, uh, coming from permaculture, then and then you know, growing food will be just uh, one part of that. Uh, as I said, we have you know, infrastructure and water and everything. Uh, the whole farm. And that's why I'm um, the farm, that's why I'm so much into farming because on on the farm you have the, the, the opportunity to create. Uh, to create a life with all those different components that are and eventually by doing that uh, and showing a, a future, ensuring <laughs> uh, freedom, future, good quality food and, 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 and you know, a, a better life. So, what we are doing in this uh, presentation, we are going to uh, plan for all those different uh, growing areas as you saw here on the image left. Uh, all those growing areas and now I'm going to explain uh, how we're going to uh, plan. you know, we can think about those as uh, uh, land units uh, where each of those land units or, you know, uh, or fields or whatever you call them uh, is managed and developed differently and uh, the basis for these uh, different land units or growing areas uh, the, it comes from the zones method so I didn't introduce zones. You know, we went through the whole design process into the zones uh, all up until now because the zones are connected with the uh, human activity. Okay, so with the human activities, and the human activities usually involve you know, uh, as because uh, the the food is the primary focus of mass production designs. That's how the zones were developed in uh, response to all the different human activities that we are doing and caring for different uh, elements. Uh, that usually involves uh, living elements such as plants and animals, so I'm sure that a lot of you uh, already know what the zones are, so i 'll just say that zones help us organize the elements and energy flows on our property uh, sorry, uh, according to how often we use them or need to care for them uh, and I would say that every permaculture site is divided into zones and uh, I would say you know they you don't have a permaculture site if you don't have that zone uh, planning in mind, okay because the zones help us understand uh, the pattern of human movement uh, within a space and our goal of course is to uh, with permaculture design is to minimize minimize our effort uh, it's to save time it's to uh, save time energy uh, and money so um uh, you know, it all comes down to energy, and then uh, with saving energy, we save time, so we save money, and we save labor and effort. And we all know that the zone uh, the zone method begins uh, from the doorstep, and then extends from zone zero to zone five. So zone ones and uh, zone one and two are the areas that need the most attention. They are located close to the home, while zones three, four, and five they are further away. Uh, Zones three and four, that you know, they are uh, their the required upkeep is less intensive. And uh, with that, zones you know, what I said that each zone has a different requirement for maintenance and function. And uh, and based on that, we are going to determine our growing areas and we will we'll look at the each zone individually now and, and describe the possible activities uh, taking place uh, in the. So, of course, the zone zero is the house, okay? I, I, read, I actually read somewhere, zone zero zero would be the mind, okay? What's happening in the mind, zone zero is the house, okay? So, the everything that's in the house. This is the center structure and the epicenter of your various zone activities. Every, everything starts with the zone zero. So, in the, in the last lesson, you know, we were talking about uh, where that house should be, okay? and uh now with that that house will be the starting point uh, for the zone design that's why i always you know when i when i talk with people and they're saying that they have a property they want to develop my always my first question is are you living there uh, is there a house there okay because uh if you don't know where your house is going to be you don't know, you don't have an idea where your annual gardens and where your permaculture orchard should be uh, basically what you have if you don't know where the location of the house is and maybe if you're not planning to build a house then you can actually plan just, let's say, zones three and four uh, because those are the zones that will be you know, extending further from the house. Uh, and if you don't have the house there, you're not living there, so obviously the zone three and zone four, uh, they require a little, a little bit of uh, uh, supervision. So that would be kind of an equivalent, you know, if you live somewhere and then you have your uh, your piece of land, let's say 30 kilometers, and then you're going there, and, and you know you're planting trees and everything. That's basically a zone three. You are not there. Zone one and zone two only exist if you have the house there. And as we talked, you know, uh, 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 zone one and zone two are the homestead area. Okay, so the zone one is uh, there's the area that is um, uh, nearest to the home and, and uh, beginning just outside the kitchen door. Uh, this area uh, receives the most traffic. Any elements that need continual observation, frequent visits, or some you know, rigorous techniques, they belong here. And uh, I would say there is a transition area uh, from the house to zone one, and that's usually where we would put the greenhouse attached to the to the house. So you know that would be that transition area. And as you can see, this is I, I took this from uh, David Holmgren's Ebook about Meliodora. This is his house, and his house, of course, is looking. Uh, I think towards the north because, yeah, it looks towards the north because it's in, it's in the southern hemisphere. But what he has there, you know, you can see that the zone one is actually all the raised beds that are outside the house, and he has the greenhouse that is attached to the house. So this is all the area, you know, that is um, really managed intensively, you know. Uh, we have intensive gardens of annuals and you know perennials uh, that all feed in the house and you can think about this all as an extension of, of uh, or integration of the kitchen and here we would also hold uh, uh, small livestock like chickens, uh, maybe guinea pigs or worms uh, and bees of course and uh, I would say that we can think about this in you know, zone one as a multifunctional landscape that provides food, uh, you know, that's beautiful beautiful to be, you know, you to relax, you know, habitat for it's a good habitat for beneficial insects, you know, creating your compost, fertilizer, whatever. You know, we can create like a attractive lens of uh, whatever it comes to mind because it's all so intensely managed perennials, annuals, salad herbs, shrubs, uh and things like that. So I would say that uh, uh, the size and the shape of zone one is largely dependent on you know, how big the site is, you know, on the site acreage, uh, on the access and, and time available. I would say that zone one can stretch anywhere from. I wouldn't say you know I can't say million really meters, but you can stretch from your house to barn and to other outbuildings, depending you know depending on how much you can manage and so on and what. Okay. Uh, that depends also, uh, also on that. Okay, so beyond zone one is of course zone two, and we usually call it this the 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 home orchard zone. Okay, but uh, we'll see that we can here also grow the main crop or stable uh, stable uh, stable gardens, and uh, this is this is you know semi-intensely managed, uh, requires observation maintenance every every few days, not every day. Uh, we put their elements that we don't visit every day. Management isn't so quite intensive. Uh, for example, we would do here we would do spot mulching instead of deep continuous mulching, or we would have automatic large scale irrigation instead of, uh, you know, watering plants with a can or or or, or, or with hand Hands. So as I said, we can place main crop stable gardens and uh, integrated orchards. Uh, small domestic animals uh, such as uh, rabbits, chickens, uh, you know those shelters can be their, their shelters can you know join the zone one, and also the food that we grow here is mainly for home use. Okay, so I would say that you know zone one and zone two, as David Coleman would say, that's a this is zone where we would do all different kind of experiments, you know, with different plants, perennial plants and trees that we can eventually then, as we do our experiments. We can eventually then, uh, if the experiment works, put that to zone three. Okay, so zone one, zone two is the area where we basically have a decent control. That's how, that's what we maybe one person can manage uh, effectively. But you know, as we move to zone three, you know, things a little bit change. We need more equipment. We need uh, you know, tractors and stuff like that. Uh, so I would say that that zone two can extend. Uh, Rather, also, you know, it's it's flexible, uh, but uh, I would say that most homesteads or most farms that are just homes that have zone one, zone zone two, zone three. When we move to uh, uh, to zone three, we have different management, and this is the management, you know, this kind of we will call this the farming zone. Okay, so this is where we would have like a commercial crops and live uh, large livestock. Um, and so, this is where the main crops are grown that require minimal maintenance and attention once established uh so crops um, I would say here are visited uh at least you know once a week or less of course, you can visit it more but th- there's a the whole idea you know it would grow uh I would say that this would be the so agroforestry zone that we you now see from Mark Shepherd Agroforestry uh, is all commercial crops and animals. Uh, you know here we would find larger fruit and nut orchards uh, vineyards, field crops such as grains and uh, commercial gardens uh, some of the trees that we will be growing here may be yield firewood some you know wood products or animal forage uh, additionally, we would have also bar uh, pastures here for larger grazing animals and maybe you know also silver pasture. We'll go into all those details i'll I'll be explaining all those now we are just having an overview. And this zone can be really, uh, really big. Uh, if you imagine a uh, field crops uh, that conventional farmer would sow, you know, this would be uh, all kind of zone three style management. Okay, so uh, if you imagine how that looks like, conventional farmer goes and you know, kind of plows the field and and, and uh, sows the the grains or whatever, and then. Uh, it's left to its own devices, okay, so, you know, he comes here and then, he checks in but uh, the management, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, you come there every once in a while and see, you know, how everything goes and if you are doing the agroforestry stuff like Mark Shepherd, then you actually don't want to interfere that much, you want to use the stunt technique and everything to get, you know, more resilient crops but we'll go into that uh, next time much more but this time we'll, we'll just explain a little bit, uh, you know, what's happening there. Okay, so we have then uh zone four. Um you know, I try to find you know different representation of different zones. So this is kind of the best one that I could find, you know, just uh here just to get an idea that you know zone four uh you know is a little bit you know further away. It's a semi managed area uh, that's full of uh self sustaining forests and woodlets that require very little care or attention. So I would say that kind of the zone four would be the buffer uh between uh, the areas that are maybe more, you know, intensively managed, uh, and the wild, you know, uncultivated land, um, and we would use this for, you know, mostly foraging and forest farming. Okay, so what we would do, you know, we would maybe leave the native forest, but then, you know, use then forage the native herbs and uh, use use wood for some woodcraft supplies. Um, but you can be also managed for timber and fuel and you know we can we can do mushrooms and you know other products, but also you know we can do forest grazing and seal sealash for animals as well so it's kind of rather you know it's it's uh, uh, you leave it to all your you leave the forest do its own thing but you kind of slowly nudge it in your directions or use use uh, use it for firewood or you know this kind of where the resources. For your fuel would be coming from from this zone, and I would say that zone four usually applies to larger properties. Uh, some you know uh, some might have zone four, uh, some might not have, uh, but uh, in my thinking, you know, zone four is is extremely extremely important. And then we have a uh, zone five. Uh, uh, zone five is, you know, of course, the unmanaged area. This would be, you know, people who have big properties, and who have that uh, luxury of having zone five. Uh, they're you know, they're lucky because, you know, this this area, you, know, you can go into this area, uh, visit for recreation and appreciation, and, and uh, you know, naturally occurring plants and wildlife. You know, we would go there to learn. Okay, uh, first and foremost. Uh, we purpose to design other zones and this one we, we, we go and, and learn. Uh, this should remain uh, wild and uncultivated. And we do uh, this is how, how to explain it. I would explain Zone 5 as an nice instruction manual for an ecological garden. and uh, We especially, this is especially true in doing the restoration agriculture uh, because uh, we would look at what is in our zone 5, okay, what is our uh, biome, and what is growing there, what is, you know, growing? well. Uh, this would be, uh, we would try to mimic that ecosystem that's around us in zone 5, because that zone 5 will always, you know, if it left on its own devices, zone 5 will always try to spread to other zones, to zone 4, okay. So, <clears throat> this is the ecosystem we want to imitate. You don't want to go against the nature. You want to go with, you know, with the nature. And you know, if what zone five is telling you, you should you actually mimic that ecosystem. If you want to do less work, of course. And I would say for me, zone five is extremely important because you know, I go there, I learn uh, this is kind of my. Uh, I would say that that would be kind of the one of non-negotiables. In, if I were looking for property, would be that I have. A zone five. That is, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, on my property. You know, it can be crown land or carbonate land, but uh, I just need to have an option to go there and to visit and to learn to observe, and you know, to keep my mind sane. Uh, uh, so that will be kind of the zone. Zone five. Okay. And before I go uh, into uh, questions, I'll just uh, I'll just say uh, why. Uh, Few 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 notes about the zones. <clears throat> so I would say that it's important to understand that you know, zones are not uh, neat concentric circles. You know, of course, you know how the zones are going to look like. Uh, um, you know, when, when we think about them, uh, they conceptually are, but in real life, uh, their boundaries are permeable and they blend into one another uh, because they are, you know, uh, essentially shaped and molded by topography and, and soil and available sunlight. Uh, access, um, you know, all those things are going to, uh, even your needs, you know, all those things are going to influence how the zones are going to look like. So what I've been, you know, what the image that you see with cosmetic Circles, you know, that's kind of the rough guideline. Uh, specific context of the site ultimately determines the actual layout. And you know, uh, actually Zone 3 can be, you know, can be neighboring Zone 1. And that's actually sometimes you want to design things like that because then because you want to be if you have animals that will be in your zone three the bigger animals, and you know if they have kind of can can come close to zone one, you can feed them stuff from from the kitchen as well. So that's kind of a, a, a neat you know a neat thing that you can do with zones. So just you know important thing is that to remember you know that the distance from the epicenter so from your house is the is based on the numbers of times you need to visit you know that crop, that animal, that structure. The more visits it required, the closer uh, that area needs to be, uh, you need to put that you know, zone closer uh, uh, to the house, uh, you know, uh, doing the design. So and uh, I would say that in addition to all the human activity that we always think, you know, okay, so I'm going to measure this planet, I'm going to... Uh, need to take care of these animals Uh, you want to design your zones based on the energies that are coming from outside the site as well you know such as sun and wind and views even the scenery okay and water access and everything that's why you know we were uh, in reading the landscape that's why reading the landscape is is important because once you you know understand how the landscape breathes you know to say it like that you can uh, create uh, a a sector map and then you'll be able to uh to see how to uh let's let's say adapt your zones based on that uh, so uh that's kind of the another consideration the first one would be the you know what what activities what human activities will be happening there the second one is okay so let's see what are the energies coming and based on that you know well, let's uh, shape and mold our zones. Alright, now I'm going to answer some questions. What is this? Let me see if there are some questions.
0: Let me just Hi everybody, please type in your questions for William and he will answer them right now, right away.
1: If there are any okay. Okay, so that's that's what Frank was asking. This question for you. Okay, so I'll just wait. You know, for, for a sec. If there are questions, I'll answer. If not, I'll just you know, I'll just continue.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the question box, and I will I will uh, let you know. I'll read them to you when I see any.
1: All right. Okay, let's continue then. Uh, obviously, you guys know everything about uh, the zones. It's kind of the, the, the well-known, I would say, uh, permaculture uh, design method. Uh, let's call it like that. Okay, so now this is like a general overview. He's uh, uh, what we'll be you know discussing according to the zones, okay? So this is like the growing area types. So the first one is, uh, uh, you know, zone one is, you know, we have home gardens. In zone two, we have main crop beds and you know permaculture orchards. Zone three, uh, field crops and pastures and tree crops. Seal pasture, alley cropping, that's kind of the Mark Shepherd style. Then zone four, structural forest and woodlots, farm forestry. And then I put windbags and shelter bags because these are kind of the, the, the design elements or growing systems that uh, we can uh, we can put anywhere from zone one to zone three, uh, and you know I'll touch I'll touch, uh, I'll touch uh, shortly on that as well. Uh, okay, so the first is the home garden. Um, this is you know I, I don't need to. Spend a lot of time on that, but uh, this is uh, this is the main you know the main food that you'll be producing for your house comes from uh, these you know garden beds and everything that you put here you know the, in this location you, you have probably uh, uh, with perennials you know because with some perennials uh, that will be growing close to the house you have uh, annual crops in garden beds and, and these beds can be round and keyhole raised, sunken whatever uh, maybe next time I'll touch a little bit on that but you know most people are aware of this uh, but you know what you're seeing this image again I took this from David Hong so he has this greenhouse that is connected to the house Then he has these garden beds and then of course the, the whole house uh, the the kiwi plant is you know the kiwi kiwis are going kiwi wine is going on the house uh, located on the northern side uh so that's kind of the perennial, then he has like a, a different uh, uh small shrubs. So everything is you know everything is there that's uh, uh convenient to, to access and, and eat, you know, you would nibble all, all these plants or so you would excel that's that's kind of the the uh the home garden, okay, the home kitchen slash kitchen garden, okay. <clears throat> And as you move further away from the house, we have uh, uh, main crop beds of uh, zone two. Okay, so this is uh, uh, this place where we would plant staple crops that require, let's say, more space and less attention than annuals in home garden. So for example, you would have solid greens. I would say you would have salad greens in zone one, you know, because, you, you know, salad greens and herbs, uh, something that you just come out of the house and, Took, you take uh, a little bit of celery for dinner, but let's say onions and and beets and uh, and uh, potatoes um, you would put uh, in your staple crop garden that requires more space, uh, a little bit less attention. Uh, the irrigation, you know, maybe uh, it's different. You know, you wouldn't be watering the whole the whole area that you see here by hand, um, probably these these bad crops on Zatuna farm on Jeff Walton are, are slightly on contours so uh, so I'm assuming you know maybe they are field irrigating the whole thing uh, uh, and the rain also you know is catched um, is harvested with these contours. So this is kind of the the uh, the, the zone to less um, less maintenance uh, less uh, uh, observation less let work about, you know, you just plant and you, you, you visit and see if there is maybe some irrigation needed uh, and uh, these crops usually take the whole season, but celery greens, they, they can be cut, you know, uh, all the time and they, they'll, they'll resprout sprout and you can eat them. Okay, so, and then we have zone uh, two orchards, okay, so this is also a zone two thing. Uh, so, uh, these orchards would produce all the frat, uh, fruit and nuts and the household will need so the main focus would be uh, to produce fruit and nuts for the home use. This is not commercial. It can be commercial if you create surplus uh, but um, mostly for home need. and this is what you're seeing here is an image from uh, David Holmgren you're seeing, okay so more to the right. Uh, to this image you can see the rows of trees. This is his uh, uh, zone two European style, you know, mixed orchard uh, trees that are planted roughly on contours, okay. And the size of this orchard is, um, I, uh, I'm not sure the whole site is, I think, two acres or, or no, he said two hectares, that's kind of a little bit less than, and, than four acres and his orchard is, uh, we'll say, two acres. And, well, I was there. They were producing so much food, you know, that they were you know, feeding all the volunteers that were there. They were having surplus that they could. They were feeding all the um, people who would come to permaculture uh, design you know, certificate uh, courses and and stuff like that. So there was so much food. Uh, so I would say that you know, when people uh, ask how much land is enough uh, to feed my family, I would say with a, you know, zone one that uh, is not that huge is not, so zone one with uh, let's say uh, nutritious crops like salad greens uh, with uh, I don't know let's say six to eight beds and um, that's you know self-sufficient salad greens then uh, a staple crop garden with also not so big you know you have enough potatoes and beets and everything and then again uh, orchard that is one to two acres in size uh, would uh, yield so much uh, fruit and nuts uh, that it would be, you know, too much. But if you are, let's say, for example, that's if you're a vegetarian. But if you need meat, uh, then you know, then uh, of course uh, there would be chickens, uh, there would be goats. But uh, chicken you can integrate in orchards, but you can't integrate them. Um, but you can't integrate, uh, let's say, a cattle into orchards. So that's probably why we would need maybe zone three, zone four for cattle if you if you want. Uh, that kind of self-sufficiency in, in me. And I was talking about the orchard, but um, something that's uh, a little bit less uh, uh, recognizable would be like a forest garden because forest garden look like a forest. So they're similar to orchard but you know they're much more diverse in, in what's planted in and in the overall structure. So this is an image this is an image from Martin Crawford's uh forest garden in UK and as you can see it doesn't look like an orchard. It's you know it's planted with a, a huge variety of perennial plants, many different layers. So uh this is also the, your zone two uh, 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 uh growing uh, growing system that uh you would say so on one side you can have something more uh in straight lines like uh like orchard. Um if we want it, and uh, maybe if your climate dictates it, uh, but you can kind of also a forest garden uh, where it doesn't look uh, as orchard. It looks in, in it's basically it's in patches and and, and uh, looks a little bit different. Then we have zone three, and in zone three we would have commercial orchards. Okay, so. That would be the difference. Okay, so uh, commercial orchards they differ from home orchards because they are bigger in size and they are less diverse. So the main focus is here on uh, producing commercial crops. So uh, the the rows need to be more maybe more uniform. Uh, uh, depends on how you're going to manage this. So what w- this image is from uh, uh, Stefan So from a commercial orchard. If you see this, the Miracle Farm. Uh, if you saw this DVD and 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 he's. Uh, uh, and his orchard. So um, we said that commercial crops are usually going into zone three. Okay, so the zone. Maybe this requires maybe a little bit more attention, but uh, commercial crops that are bigger in size, uh, they will be probably in 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 uh, in, in zone three. Uh, so um, let's see an image. That, that's kind of the example of, of five acre permaculture. orchard in Canada, we Canada we have trees that are planted the rose, those trees are, of course, it's uh, not monocultural, you know, it's, they're planted, uh, we're going to do that that next time. We're going to go into more details about how those orchards are designed, uh, but uh, we have uh, apple tree, we have pearl, pear tree, or, or maybe um, uh, cherry, and then we have an nitrogen fixer, so that's kind of the, the pattern that's repeating. But as I said I'll go much into much more details uh, next time and then we have uh, field crops also that are they are going into zone three and um, uh, again this would be kind of more commercial because we said staple crops going in zone two that's kind of your you're feeding yourself but uh, uh, field crops uh, that are commercial would go to zone three uh, here you, you would probably plant some uh, uh, grains and other commodity crops that need to be produced at scale. Uh, what you're seeing here is uh, uh, field crops at New Forest Farm of, from Mark Shepard. So this is, you know, clearly what I was saying. Mm. This is how the commercial farmer uh, would do it. But this is kind of this is not like a commercial farmer um, because we can see some uh, green manure crops or, or some kind of car crops in between the rows of. Uh, Squashes, I think. Uh, So, from the same reason as as for the commercial uh, orchard, uh, uh, we are using something that we would be growing in zone two, but we are going here uh, at scale. This would be kind of the staple crop, zone two, but grown in a in a but more monoculture is grown in 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 zone three uh, for commercial purposes. So another option is to put uh, pastures in zone 3 so you know is to use if you have big open spaces then uh, that are further away from the house you can transform them into pastures for grazing animals uh, such as you know cattle uh, horses or, or sheep um, so as I said if you're if you're kind of if you, if you want uh Produce meat for yourself, and you know also to sell it. Then uh, I would say that this will be the area where you grow your your uh, uh, your cattle, and and maybe you can place here uh, other big animals, you know like pigs and whatever. Will go into animals after this, uh, but you know this will require. Uh, but we are not going to manage it as a you know, commercial farmer, so this will probably require further division into uh, of the land into cells and then uh, using rotation grazing and police and, and, uh, management techniques to uh, conserve the land. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, next time. Just, you know, this is just kind of to have an idea of what to put where. And then we have tree crops. Uh, so that's kind of, that's another. Uh, commercial zone tree option. Uh, this means growing uh, selected high value timber trees or other tree crops. Um, we would do that ideally on contour or in widely spaced rows as you can see on this image. This is from Mark Shepard, again Mark Shepard's farm. Uh, next time we're going to do uh, maybe, uh, well we'll go into more details about how to actually design what you're seeing here uh, with the key line design and everything. Uh, so, uh, how we're we going to how we're going to grade this lot depends on uh, on you know the machine you'll be using, what labor is available, uh, landscape features, what your priorities are, and what, what, what kind of purpose. We go all, into all those you know, design criteria next time. Um, now I just want you to, to be aware of uh, the 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 tree crops uh, growing system uh, that we can uh, use. And then we also have uh, early cropping and silopesha. So that would be something that you know you were seeing the the, the, the rows of trees here, but you know, in between those rows uh, we have planted uh, uh crops. And in this case that's again from uh, Mark Shepard's uh, New Forest Farm, we have asparagus growing in the amongst the chestnut trees. So um uh, we'll say, uh, so this is an example of alley cropping, we have alley cropping and silo pasture. Uh, I'll talk about the next slide on silo pasture. Uh, so uh, both, both of them are are, uh, are agroforest practices. Uh, so we combine trees with, uh, with uh, crops and there can be animal crops or there can be you know, plant crops uh, in between. Uh, so as I said, this is uh, from uh, from uh, Mark Shepard. Uh, farms. Uh, I'm drawing a lot of examples from here because he's the best representation that I know of you know, zone three commercial f- uh, permaculture farm management. Okay, and he's uh, uh, he actually brought us uh, agroforestry that is, you could say. not so conventional uh, farming method, but in something like a a commercial viable uh, conventional farming method to permaculture, but he, you know, he then uh, brought all these techniques like stun and everything into all of this, so uh, the best example of agroforestry zone 3, you know, systems is is Mark Shepard and I would recommend. Uh, learning from Mark on, on, on it as much as I can, as much as I did on his workshops because all the inspiration for the work I'm doing here on my farm came actually from Mark Shepard and he's a big proponent of not doing, you know, uh, not working too much but still having a great farm like he has. Um, and then finally an example of, of zone 3 would be seal of pressure, as I said. Again, that's a, a agroforest technique. And here we are just you know here we are mixing uh, animals with uh, with uh, trees. Okay, so we are seeing cattle here grazing amongst the apple trees, and these trees um, probably are on contour. You know when we look uh, from above, they would be probably on contour. But here, you know, we are just seeing that uh, these trees are not managed actively. They are left on its own devices. Uh, you know, cattle goes fertilizes. Uh, fertilized trees, uh, eats, you know, it's probably um, Mark does the similar thing with the pigs, so uh, pigs, cattle, turkeys, uh, chickens, everything, he would mm. move to here, you know, they would eat everything, uh, they would fertilize everything, so this is kind of the permaculture way of managing, uh, 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 let's say, uh, uh, tree crops on, on, on scale. Uh, and animals, so you know how much he can produce on one acre is much more, you know, than than just a monoculture of 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 trees, just apple trees, or whatever. And then we have zone four. Uh, we have here we have, um, as I said, we have structural forests and woodlots. So, um, growing season, these the semi wild areas of property, you know, large, largely focused on providing wood for lumber and firewood. Uh, so that's why I said. Uh, maybe you can manage uh, in a sense that you are selecting for the uh, best quality trees so you are actually cutting the trees that look Uh, then you know you're doing the thinning as you're doing thinning you are getting the firewood as you're getting as you're doing that you're actually selecting for quality and you are leaving trees that are you know the quality trees with quality genetics so uh, here you can also reserve some uh, uh, Sections for growing maybe long-term timber such as you know black walnut uh, cedar whatever oak whatever, um, along with planting a woodlot variety, provide a faster nor of of firewood, so you can leave it to grow on its own device, so can, or can you can plant and then leave it you know for the next twenty years to grow and then you deem and cut and 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 process. Um, then you can also do forest farming. That's in for activity um, uh, in this semi volatile area so this will be intentional cultivation of uh, non-timber forest crops underneath established canopy of the existing forest okay so this is actually gardening or farming in the forest and uh, species need to be considerably more shade tolerant so you will grow of course you will grow mushrooms and other shade loving perennial uh, plants like ginseng or leeks or godofill or something like that. So there, there is a book about uh, forest farming. I'll put that into uh, not show notes in the resources page uh, uh, next time. Uh, but you can do farming in the forest, okay, with mushrooms, with uh, plants, as I said, ginseng will grow in shade, uh, leeks, uh, leeks that uh, will be growing, but leeks that are native to forests would grow as well. So uh, this is another opportunity you know leave the forest select for timber uh for firewood cut the cut, cut, cut the cut the firewood and leave something for 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 uh, mushrooms and you know you can have mushrooms there and then we have a you know zone uh, then we have um a shelter belts and 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 um wind breaks so I would say this is the planting of trees and shrubs designed to reduce wind speed. This, this would be the zone uh, one to three elements. Okay, so you could put that close to the house, you can put that in, in zone three, you can put that in, in, in zone two whenever it's needed. Uh, this, you will get a better understanding if you look at your sector map and then uh, understand how the energies are flowing through the system and based on that I create your wind breaks uh, and also create shelter for the animals. Uh, from cold winter winds and uh, summer heat, um, then the, those shallow beds can provide refuges. Also, they can provide fodder uh, during those harsh times. So, uh, I would say that in line with permaculture, think of staking functions. Uh, the, the windbreaks can also be productive in other ways. You know, the windbreaks can produce firewood. Windbreaks can produce. can be. Uh, provide honey, you know, provide uh, a lot of flowers or uh, honey, uh, for honeybees and also mulch, uh, building timber like if you are uh, create a windbreak with uh, uh, I don't know, I would say, let's say for example, if you have uh, uh, hazelnuts, uh, locust trees, you can all, you know, you can copy, cut that and use that for, for building timber. Of course, you can have edible crops as well. So this is kind of the stacking functions. This would be in your zone one to three, depending on uh, where the winds are coming and how the winds are severe. Okay, so we went through the what plants you would be growing in zones. Now we're going to look at all the animals uh, that uh, are are going to different zones. Uh, Animals are important because. in considering permaculture is a complete ecosystem animals are essential to control vegetation and pests and to you know to complete the basic nutrient cycle of a farm um, if you know a farm doesn't utilize livestock yet you know it's not replicated in nature as well it should be and the different criteria for um, uh, selecting for for uh, for animals we'll, we'll see what the criteria is okay so when you are designing uh, so, when you 're designing for for animals, uh, see here are the criterias that you have have in mind um, There are different factors, and that's you know it all depends on what are the climate and environmental conditions you know what types of animals are best suited to your environment. Well, for example, if you have wooded lot, uh, it makes for different species than you know wide open uh, pasture line so that 's kind of the first climate and environmental conditions. Second would be, of course, size of the property, you know, if you, if you have, as I said, the bigger properties, you have the zone 3 and zone 4, and you can put bigger animals in there. If you have smaller plots of land, then, you know, the zone 1, zone 2, you know, smaller animals there will be. And then infrastructure needs. You'll have to consider, you know, what type of protection do animals need and to keep them uh, safe from the elements and predators as well. So, and then function, are you raising animals? For income, or uh, simply to be self-reliant as possible, do you need animals to help uh, regenerate the soil? Uh, what kind of soil do you have? And then, of course, personal preference or affinity—you know, which animals uh, to get along with the best? Um, you don't want animals that you know you can't stand to be around with. And then, time—how much time you can devote to caring for your animals? Uh, so, if you don't have time, and if you want to be go away from your farm, then you won't be able to have animals. Maybe you have two you can have chickens with automated feeder, but uh, that simply limits you. There will be no traveling if you have you know, a lot of livestock and nobody can give you a helping hand in monitoring that livestock. Okay, so uh, Let's start with the small livestock. This is uh, zone one and zone two livestock that would be located in these zones. And uh, here we can all, uh, all, we we can we can find rabbits, which are you know quiet. Uh, that's why they can be you know located in zone one. They don't take much room, so their housing can be a simple hutch, you know, out of the weather. So they're pretty uh, easy uh, to care for. So that's why they can be in zone one, zone two. Bees, you can place bees in somewhere in a shelter location, uh, away from being in harsh and, you know, close to the house. Uh, beekeeping required careful study and, and, and monitoring, so it uh, needs to be closer, you know, to attention size, you know, some ones are too close. Then uh, some kind of poultry forage systems like ducks, geese, and, and chickens, they're always uh, uh, there somewhere close, you know, to pick up the eggs, some ones are too. And whenever possible, you know, uh, your zone 2 should uh, include this kind of high manure animals, uh, the chickens are ducks or geese. Uh, you can post them on the edge of the zone 1 and release them into your zone 2, you know, chickens, ducks and geese. They integrate well into the orchard, um, you know, cattle doesn't, do, you know, cattle is for zone 3 and for the trees that you don't mind them them scratching and and, and and maybe doing damage but for zone 2 you know chickens are the best chickens or geese or something uh, alright uh, just give me a sec okay and then medium sized livestock that's probably should go to zone 3 and zone 4 uh, here we have Pigs uh, and pigs are, you know, they forest and, and marshland for, uh, foragers. They graze, forage, dig up tubers and roots. So they, you know, they they do a little bit of disturbance, you know. Uh, so that's why I say zone three, zone four. You wouldn't be putting pigs in in your orchard without uh, much control. But you can put them in zone three, you know, as long as zone three is fenced to the, do their thing there, and then move them or whatever. Uh, and their diet includes all the grasses, forage, fallen fruits, and nuts. So they're good for cleaning, disturbing, uh, fertilizing. Uh, then sheep. Okay, so sheep are great in uh, you know keeping the succession uh, in 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 a, uh, in a let's say annual phase. You know they would be br- uh, reducing the brush, but at the same time building soil and producing other yields so you know meek meat, uh, uh, meat and, and milk and, and fiber as well so they're good they're a great addition uh, to zone 3 or, or zone 4 and then goats they can they can produce many yields you know, including fiber meat and dairy products you know they're 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 a great browser and, and they they would be able to clear to clear a brushy land in short order so they are good for containing you know blackberries and stuff but they they're really uh masters in in running away, maybe escaping, you know, climbing and everything and you know if they're not in control they can do a lot of damage. You wouldn't be putting them in the orchard uh, without containing them. Uh, uh, You know, even zone 3 they would would be able to do a lot of damage, so goats are a little bit uh, tricky uh, to have. And then we have large livestock, and that's, you know, herbivores that move in herds. Uh, They need much more space, and they need to be moved much more regularly to avoid damage to the soil. Of course, if you have bigger land, then, you know, that's not an issue. But uh, if you have uh, uh, not so big zone 3, then, then of course, you'll have to move them uh, regularly. here we have all the all the good techniques uh, of rotational grazing, holistic management, to aid us in that process. Uh, they're great, you know. They are great grazers and they produce high quality manure, but they need to be uh, um, and more actually managed. I would say uh, we can use cattle for for many products such as meat, you know, dairy leather, uh, manure, and everything uh, for regenerating land. Uh, so uh, this would be your zone three, zone four animals that you'll be integrating. And then something I wasn't you know, talking about, but uh, aquaculture and aquaculture. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say you know putting aquaculture in zone one, two, three, or whatever. Uh, you know, if you have the opportunity, you'll be putting that. You'll be putting those ponds into uh, wherever suits you and. Uh, uh, these kind of systems they can be more efficient than land-based system due to constant supply of water, nutrients, uh, that are easily assimilated. And you know, all, all the edge area that you have, that you can have all different plants from from the water and then the transitional area, and then you can grow here uh, shrimps, streams, water plants, uh fish, all kinds of mixture. And uh this is a uh, interesting uh, uh, growing system that I'll need to uh, explore a little bit more. Uh, I'm not uh, that uh, resting into this challenge yet. Okay, so with all this in mind, uh, here's you know eventually what I want you to uh, get from this. Okay, so we said that uh, we're going to organize our property, our layout of the property according to uh, zones, and uh, with those. Uh, so once in mind we're going to choose different growing systems so um, this is kind of an example of, uh, of, of doing this so we have our uh, zone one uh, zone zero there is house zone one but then we have uh, zone two zone three uh, and zone fours that are uh, that are um, spread throughout the property and that's all based on uh, the preferred growing activities and, and the type of animals that uh, we want to integrate. So, um, uh, you think what you want to have and think, you know, what the zones and then you mm-hmm. want to mark that because uh, in the next uh, lesson I would then go into details. So, the first would be just, okay, so I want to have seal pasture here, my forest garden here, my orchard here, that's kind of based all emanating from, from the house. And this is another example uh, from uh, Darren thing from Daniel Holmgren. So, this is kind of the whole farm. Layout planning. Okay, so you have all the uh, things set up the infrastructure, your water, your your uh, uh, your growing systems. On top of that, in all these areas in between, so the paddocks, the forest, the forestry systems. And this would be like uh, there forestry uh, there and Dorothy. On the right, you have uh, from who just said okay so I'll have my orchard block here, my orchard block here, my orchard block here, I have my annual garden here so kind of this is the overall thinking I want to have all these different growing areas I want to in those areas I want to be growing these things and then based on that once you you determine that you can go into details uh, further but the first order would be okay so this is what I want to grow and this one where I want want it to be alright so this was within an hour Uh, so that's one hour exactly so I'll see if we have any questions
0: yeah we we do have a question from Uh uh, Fabian the question is do you need to rotate your livestock to one field to another, even with the permaculture system?
1: Well, it all depends on how big, you know, how that big, because, for example, uh, if you're in Australia and you you have a huge, there is a certain, uh, I would say, formula where you can see, you know, how uh, much uh, land can support how many animals, okay? So if your land can't you know if your land is uh, small to support a, a certain amount of uh, cattle then you'll have to uh, let's say uh, move it in in a in a rotational grazing uh, uh scheme okay you'll have to move it that way uh, uh, you'll have to be more actively involved because if you don't then you know if they constantly you know if they if there is so if they if there is so many of them. If they constantly tramp to tramp the ground uh, and overgraze then you have a problem. If there is not enough of them, you know for example, if you had just one sheep on one acre, obviously uh obviously there is you you don't have a problem. If you have hundred sheep on on an acre, for example, if that they take a can't support the kind of sheep. Then you would need to move those sheep uh, a little bit different, maybe, uh, maybe to contain them on a smaller, on a smaller uh, piece of land. Once they're grazed, move to the another, you know, to another cell or another block, and then move them, you know, across. And uh, 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 doing so, the first one, the first log will regenerate, and then uh, you can, you know, follow that uh, pattern again. Uh, so there, uh, that's why I would say there is a certain uh, amount of livestock that can uh a certain size of land support. Okay.
0: Awesome. Okay. Um, there is another question.
1: Uh
0: huh. Do hydroponic or aquaponic system fit into your design at all? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another part. Hydroponic are defined as not organic but Organic uh, status of aquaponics is less clear. More so well, we common.
1: Uh, okay, so, okay, uh, so, I, would so uh, that, I would say that uh, uh, hydrophonic a bit less uh, is, you know, would be part of the permaculture system uh, because uh, of the very nature of hydroponic and how the the, the 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 plants are fed. Uh, but uh, maybe aqua, aquaponics a little bit more because you have fishes and everything. But I would say these are the systems that would fit. You know, how would you manage those systems? They need continual uh, observation, monitoring, and everything. That's kind of the zone one activity. So of course you can produce. You know, maybe not hydroponically, but aquaponics would be a, a, a good part, you know, good addition to a permaculture system in a zone one. You know, maybe even you know somewhere in in the as an extension of the house. So they would feed uh they would feed but uh for a little bit less i'm not you know i'm not uh well aware what actually goes into hydroponic system. i know that the plants are fed uh, with uh with a, a a mixture of of uh a, a, like a like a fast food something you know it's not uh it's not they're not growing in soil so that's that's a, that's an that's an issue but aquaponics uh will, more acceptable, let's say. Uh, that would be just kind of my observation. Okay, so Roberta says, do you have a good example of a permaculture farm located in northern country like Canada or Sweden where there are long winters? Can you go year-round even with the snow and the wind? Roberta, there is a, there is a farmer, Ridgedale permaculture in Sweden, and they are growing, they don't grow all year-round because of the long winter, but uh, in that four months or whatever they have, they, they grow a lot, uh, uh, not all year round without a lot of energy inputs because, of course, you need light, Okay, so you need uh, light and heat across water for plants to grow You know, in the soil. So if you can provide light in your greenhouse, you can provide heat, so that I would say that that would be all the activities, maybe, maybe in the zone zero, zone one, but that's uh, uh, expensive. I would say that's expensive to provide light unless you're producing microgreens somewhere in the house. Then maybe yes, okay. Uh, if you have the, if you have the economic, uh, uh, if you can justify economically doing that. If not, uh, you know, you, you don't have that much of growing season in the northern countries because there is simply not there is simply not enough light, okay unless you're supplying that light. They simply are not, again, also the heat, unless you're supplying that heat. There's a kind of uh, energy. It's tricky from energy uh, perspective uh, to justify uh, doing that uh, all year round.
0: All right. All right. Um, So I don't see any other questions yet. Uh, Please, if you have a question, put them up uh, in the chat.
1: And okay, Roberta says, any other example? Uh, I think there was a farm in Scotland, some guy who was growing all kind of perennial plants, but it's it's not a commercial farm. It's just a farm. Maybe I'll try to find it for the next time. Uh, I'll try to remember that for the next time. Okay. Leah Smith had, have you heard of underground greenhouse? Yes, I heard about underground greenhouse. That probably means that you know, the, the, the heat from the soil. There is a little bit less temperature fluctuation. Uh, heat is probably, uh, I would say, heat from the summer is still contained for the uh, for the for the winter months. Uh, but probably the light is, you know, a little bit tricky. Uh, I would say you can grow, you can grow. And I I just ordered a good book from. Uh, Nicky Jarbur or something from Canada. It's all year-round gardening, from and she's in Canada, so I'll look at that. I'll be smarter next time uh, about going. But the light is the issue, uh, uh, and I saw, uh, I saw the underground uh, underground greenhouse. I'll I'll look at that because as I'm you know as I'm doing all these webinars as I'm researching that's you know, you are actually bringing me. Uh, a lot of ideas to research as well, so thanks for that.
0: Right, um, it's the house on the hill attitude, right? We help each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: that's, that's
0: uh, right. Um so I don't see yeah. any other questions. Um, I think we can wrap it up for tonight and thanks William and thank everybody for coming and we do have another session today about planning so make sure to come to that webinar and check out William in a couple of weeks. And William, if you have any last words, um, throw them out and we'll say goodnight.
1: All right, thank you guys for, you know, for staying, keeping up with my rambling. So we'll see you next time while I go into much more details about all these systems, actually how to design them. So it's probably going to be interesting if you found this interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. All right. It was amazing. Okay, so everybody, good night, uh, take care, and bye-bye. Okay. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the Eat Community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the Eat Community Podcast.